Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Holly Hunter on Rooming with Frances McDormand, Broadcast News, and the here and now of her new HBO series. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused, my little old podcast where I talk to amazing actors and filmmakers and this week, yes, an amazing actor. That is definitely uh, putting it mildly when we talk about Holly Hunter. Uh, Holly Hunter is the guest on today's show. She is, of course, I don't know, she's kind of an icon, an icon to me in terms of of actors. Um, Going back um, to the 80s when I came of age, I mean, films like Raising Arizona and Broadcast News, which, by the way, came out in the same year. Imagine having a year like that as an actor. Um, not to mention, obviously, winning the Academy Award for the piano, getting Oscar nominated again for 13, uh, all the way up to The Big Sick last year, where she could very well have gotten an Oscar nomination for that one. I would not have been disappointed to see that. Uh, sadly, that didn't come to pass, but it doesn't make the work any less relevant and important. Uh, that that film is, is available on Amazon Prime now. Uh, and she's also got a new project, uh, a new series called Here and Now, from Alan Ball, the uh, the amazing writer, creator of such projects as Six Feet Under and True Blood. He is back uh, in the HBO family with this uh, contemporary series that, you know, as the title suggests, is about sort of the, the world we live in today. Uh, it's about a family. Uh, Holly Hunter is the matriarch. Uh, her husband is played by the great Tim Robbins. And it is a multicultural family, a very much a family of today that is confronting a lot of uh, issues of today. Uh, as you would imagine, Holly is amazing. And as you would imagine from uh, the mind of Alan Ball, it is provocative and unusual. It has mystical elements, dramatic elements, comedic elements. Well worth your time. It has already premiered on HBO uh, Sunday nights, I believe. So go check out Here and Now. Uh, as you can tell by now, I'm flying solo this week. Sammy could not join me for the intro. Don't worry. She'll be back next week. She she gets enough FaceTime on this show. Stop worrying about Sammy. It's always about Sammy this, Sammy that. What about me, guys? Um, but yeah, she'll be back next week, so don't worry about that. Uh, Holly Hunter, though, what a pleasure. What an honor. I think you guys know if you listen to the podcast, the ones that get me often most excited are the actors that I came of age with and, 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 uh, and kind of worshipped as a kid and... She was and is the shit. <laughs> She's just amazing. And those two films I mentioned at the outset, uh, I, of course, discussed with her because they were huge in my life and they're huge in many people's lives and they, and they stand the test of time. Raising Arizona was kind of the breakthrough transitional film for the Coen brothers. They had debuted with Blood Simple, but then this wild and wacky comedy comes with Nicolas Cage and Holly Hunter as the couple at the center and, of course, John Goodman and... My gosh, if you've never seen Raising Arizona, go check it out. It is one of the great comedies of all time. And then you, have, you follow that up later in the year with broadcast news. Whoa. I mean, broadcast news, I've probably talked to death about on this podcast because it's really kind of a perfect movie. It's a perfect blend of drama and comedy, uh, not to mention it's set in, in this great, authentic world of, of you know, 80s newsrooms, uh, yet feels so current today. And that triumvirate of Holly Hunter at the center, but surround, flanked on, on either side by William Hurt and Albert Brooks. Um, I, I've probably seen broadcast news a hundred times, and I'll, I'll 
hopefully see it another hundred in my life because it, I just keep coming back to it. It's, it's, it's a classic. Um, we talk about all of it on this, uh, in this conversation, as well as, as I alluded to before, uh, her interesting, uh, you know, past, which is that she kind of, uh, became early friends with Frances McDormand. Imagine those two powerhouse actors living together on the streets of New York before either of them were known by anybody. Um, and they definitely, I think if you listen to this conversation and you have a sense of Frances McDormand's personality, you can see that they are very much cut from the same cloth, um, forgetting the fact that they're both two of the finest actors of their generations. They are also, um, I don't know, tough cookies. <laughs> that's, that's what makes that minimalizes it. But like, there's something very idios, idiosyncratic and tough about each of them. And I mean that in, in a, in a, a flattering way, hopefully. Um, I'd never, t- I'd never spoken with Holly Hunter before. And I'm so, so thrilled that uh, this HBO series gave uh, me an opportunity to get to know her a little bit. Um, she's a smart lady and she is continuing to, um, just excel in her chosen profession. And, and she's, she's just one of the best out there. So, uh, without any further ado, we're going to go to that conversation. You know what I'm going to say before that. Remember to review rate and subscribe to the podcast, go on iTunes, give us a little love. It makes a difference. It spreads the good word. You guys have been really great. I should say, since we've been reminding folks, I've noticed the reviews have been piling up and the, the ratings have been accumulating. And, and, and I think, I, I think we're, 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 there's a little groundswell brewing. I see on Twitter, I see a lot of you guys going back to the early days and, and listening to the 200 plus episodes in the archives. I love that. I love new people discovering Happy, Sad, Confused. So, you know, tell your friends, review the, the podcast and spread the good word. Um, also, I just want to mention really quickly, Black Panther. Black Panther is out this week. Check it out. You don't need me to say that. It's a special movie. Uh, it's a fun Marvel movie, but it also uh, is, it just stands for something really important. Uh, the idea of representation, uh, of representing everybody that makes up our world in superhero hero films or any kind of film is so massively important. And I think you guys, if you're pop culture junkies like myself, you're already getting a sense that this film is meaning a lot to a great many people. And I, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do bananas business. It's just it's a, a fantastic movie. Uh, I did an interview with Chadwick Boseman, who's been on the podcast. Go check it out a couple of months back. And Michael B. Jordan, who hasn't done the podcast yet. He will one of these days. I, 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 I know Mike very well. I've done a ton with him. Uh, and he's one of the good guys. Anyway, I did an interview with the two of them yesterday for MTV. Uh, we're going to post, I think that entire conversation, I think is going to post up on like YouTube soon. So I'll tweet it out. But that's a, that's a really fun like 20 minute uh, conversation with the two of those guys. So if you, if you, no spoilers in that, if you want to just kind of luxurate in all things Black Panther, uh, look out for that conversation coming at you soon. Anyway, back to the main event. Please enjoy this conversation with Holly Hunter and check out Here and Now on HBO Sunday Nights. I'm very excited, to say the least, that I want to know Holly Hunter is in my office. I never thought I would say that. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, I was just saying... Uh, it's been a busy year for you in a good way. We're kind of come. I mean, like almost exactly a year ago is when Big Sick debuted at Sundance. Yes. I had the privilege of being there and seeing it there with that crowd. That was a moment. Uh, and then, you know, that, <laughs> that publicity is it's almost still continuing through. I mean, thankfully, it's gotten some love in award season. I know. People are experiencing it again on, on Amazon. Um, but, uh, but now here we are all over again with this great HBO series. So 
the freight train keeps going. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's been lovely. You know, it, 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 it's, it's always, it's a crapshoot to, um, to, you know, any time that, 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 you know, I do a project, anybody does a project, you, you have hopes for it. You know, maybe there's compromises with the script or the director or the character or, you know, whatever, or the editing or the distribution. And with the big sick, it like all the stars were aligned. Yeah. And from that screening at Sundance, which was just such a blast because there was such a connection that the audience felt for the movie, um, had you seen that, it prior to that that screening? I had, yeah. but it was a completely it was redefined. Yeah, seeing it with a crowd that you know there are things that I do and don't like about Sundance, but the best of Sundance is their audiences um, because it's a crowd of very educated, extremely um, turned on you know cinemaphiles or just great audience members who know how to participate. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was really fun as you, as you know. Yeah. I mean, do, do, you know, having been through, you know, this, this crazy circus of show business for a number of years now and seeing projects that you love, um, come and go sadly sometimes. And they just, as you said, for whatever reason, it could be one of a thousand different reasons where it doesn't, it turn doesn't work into out. Something. Yeah. Um, does that, I mean, do you have to kind of protect yourself at this point when you're done with the project and when you're about to kind of unveil it and sort of like not get your hopes up at this point? Are you sort of like dulled to that or can you still get excited before you unleash something that you legitimately have pride in and you, and you at least yourself feel like you accomplished the job and you're proud of. Well, I think, you know, uh, after decades uh, of experience, now I feel clear eyed. I feel clear eyed about what I've done. And I can definitely have hopes for things yeah. that don't pan out. And often things don't pan out for me and for most actors. Um, you can do projects that don't, for whatever reason, really manifest. Um, uh, so hoping and expecting are two wildly different states. Yeah. And I still absolutely hope. But I do not expect... I try in a really educated way to not expect. Yeah. Um, and that, and then, you know, and then I, but then I feel, you know, I experience the disappointment and then I move on. Right. Because that's, it's good to, it's good to go where, it's good to go where the reality is. Oh, wow, that, that's tough. You know, <laughs> and then I'm moving on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Feel, let it all in, and then move on to the next. Um, can we talk about New York for a second? You're you're a New Yorker. Uh, I'm born and raised in New York. It comes up a lot in this conversation in this podcast, just because. Um, I mean, I love New York. I love my city, and and you came here pretty early on. I know. City of dreams. It is for many. City of dreams. And, and it's, but it's also, I mean, it's so many things, obviously. We could talk for hours. I would think about what, what's so great about New York. Have you lived here basically continuously since, since 80? Or I, I mean, obviously for jobs, you've had to come and go. But No, I spent, you know, I, I moved to L.A. for about seven years um, uh, in the 90s and then, and then, you know, came back. What's, because, um, you know, 2000, you grew up. 2000, yeah. From, you, you grew up in, in Georgia, so. To a degree, a farm girl decided that New York City Weird. was the place to be for Weird. you, and not a passing fancy. You obviously have made your life here, uh, raised your family here. Um, 
it's not a short answer, but I'm just curious, like, what, are, what, what is it that you need in this city that L.A. doesn't fulfill for you, generally speaking? Well, I think, you know, I mean, for me, you know, right off the bat, I, I there's a certain, and this has nothing to do with celebrity, this has nothing to do with being an actress, even. I was completely divorced from that, but I feel invisible in uh, New York. I feel anonymous, um, and always have, no, no matter what, um, I have true anonymity here and everyone does. I mean, unless you're a superstar, right. you know, unless Woody Allen doesn't have true anonymity here, but, um, when you go to Los Angeles, no matter who you are, you can be anyone and people notice you because you're walking you're not driving. Right. It's, it's the second that you are outside of your car, people <laughs> you are, are looking at you like, like yeah, make yeah. possible perpetrator. <laughs> I mean, you know, a predator. Or, I mean, it's, but you're, something's wrong. <laughs> There's something wrong with this picture. That's how I feel in Los Angeles. And in New York, I feel part of humanity. I feel part of a bigger picture. Nobody's looking at me, but there's, but I'm part of it. I'm in the stream. Yeah. And I, I, you know, that's a, a profound kind of connection yeah. that I feel with my own, my fellow people. I hear you completely because, like, you know, uh, I feel like I, I, you know, it's good for the soul. It's good for your creativity just to, like, collide with life. And you are colliding constantly with so much in New York. And, and you know, to, I know that some of it's the cliche thing. And I'm sure some people, LA's lovely in many ways. But, like... Um, I don't even drive. So I am one of those crazy people, by the way, that's like walking on the streets in LA and I look like a crazy man. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I mean, you, I mean, there's sightings of you. Yeah, no, literally. literally. <laughs> Who's that? That guy's up to no good. That can't be good. <laughs> um, so you came in, came here and out of Carnegie Mellon, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Um, and by then, obviously you had more than the bug. You were committing yourself to this, this life potentially. Uh, that's why you went to Carnegie Mellon. Um, where were you at like your first weeks in New York? How much of a struggle was it here? It was like on drugs. I mean, it was, you know, it it was, you know, New York is so intense. Um, and in 1980, it had a different kind of intensity than it does now. It was a, it was a harsher intensity and, um, a more kind of direct intensity because of there's now the cell phone mutes the street culture right quite a bit everybody's in their own yeah it mutes the the feeling of the of the town in a way that wasn't obviously obviously not happening in in the 80s when it was a it was a harder city it was a more scary city but i felt like it was crack cocaine or something um i mean i felt like i didn't sleep for two weeks when i got here i was so high from being from absorbing the direct hits of energy of the city of the people that I just couldn't believe it and then I think I crashed and you know I crashed and burned um and slept you know and was happy that I lived in New York because I had had that experience as a visitor but you don't have any place to 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 let down right as a visitor so it was actually easier for me to live here because then I could go to back to my house and kind of recover from what the city gave me, yeah. which, you know, is, as you know, I mean, it's just a really, and I love, that's what I love. What, I love the intensity. What did your parents make of your 
early passion for acting and your decision to go with Carnegie, Carnegie Mellon and then to New York? Were they supportive? Were they like, obviously acting, uh, the arts was not in your family, it's safe to say, right? No, I, it was a, it's a mystery. I don't really, I really quite, you know, I, I go to, I've gone to years of therapy, <laughs> darling, and I still cannot put two and two together and come up with four about why my parents were so, like, enthusiastic, serious, nurturing, um, financially utterly supportive, um, but, the, but they were. What they- not that, that they didn't know anything about it, the, but, but it was something that it seemed like I, I you know, I had a knack for, I, I really liked it, you know, and so they, they footed the bill, and, but then when I got to New York, I was on my own, which mm-hmm. was right and good, and, and doing theater mostly here, I would think. Is that, well, is you that- know, doing, you know, in, in those days you could live in Manhattan and be a waitress. You could, you'd have, might have a couple of roommates, but you could wait tables or you could do temp work, and, right. you know, um, and I did, you know, various things, you know, those things. And, um, I remember there was this nightclub, this uh, jazz club on 70th and basically Amsterdam called the grand finale. Oh, wow. That's literally like a block away from where I grew up. I grew up on West 70th Street. Well, do you remember the grand finale? I don't. I can't. I, maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was, uh, you know, not far from Cafe, Cafe Lux. Luxembourg, yeah, yeah. And, right. and, uh, and, and so I, I was their bookkeeper. <laughs> they, they were high. But anyway. Um, was, there, was there anything you had a great aptitude to in, in any of these odd jobs that you felt like was a fallback? Or was it, was it clear that if acting was going to work out, we were going to have to re- seriously reevaluate some life decisions and figure stuff out? I was going to have to seri- <laughs> some reevaluation. Okay. Totally. <laughs> like no plan B. I mean, I had taken shorthand. You know, I was a good typist. <laughs> I mean, I you know, yeah. secretarial work. Right. I wasn't bad at. Okay. I don't and know I, if that would have made I for was a good, a good waitress, today. but I didn't really enjoy waiting. Right. Um, but it was all. You know, it was all cool because I could live in New York yeah. and do those things and continue to audition for stuff. And not only did you you get that opportunity, but you you. You had what seems to be like short of the infamous like Dustin Hoffman, Gene Hackman roommate situation, the best acting roommate situation I could ever imagine, which is you and Francis McDormand. That amount of talent in that 500 square feet, whatever you had, is kind of <laughs> insane to think of. Um, did you guys hit it off from the start? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Um, our, our boyfriends hit it off. Our boyfriends were best friends. And I was living in New York with my boyfriend, Jagosh, and... Um, uh, he was best friends with Vitautas, um, and who was going to Yale. And Gregor said, "Hey, let's go visit, you know, Vitz." And um, so I said, "Fine." And Vitz's girlfriend was friend, so we met, you know, hanging out with Vitz and Gregor, and then, um, and then, uh, and then we said we were living up in the North Bronx at that time, and we said, "Come." After they graduated, come move to the North Bronx. We've got this little enclave. It's so great. You know, was really affordable, huge spaces, sure. lots of sunlight, you know, very Irish, Latino um, neighborhood. Yep. And um, end of the D train, 205th Street, the end of the D line. Great. 
So you know, then we both break up with our boyfriends after a period of time. Sure. And then we had an extra apartment. So I said, you know, move in with, come to my house because my apartment was bigger than friends. So amazing. Then we, yeah. And did did uh, she obviously ended up uh, making a life with uh, Joel Cohen? Uh, did so? You guys were all good friends, obviously. I mean, we'll get to raising Arizona, but even before that. Um, was it like, I'm curious, like, like what was the, where, where was everybody at in their lives? Was everybody kind of like on the same level in terms of like struggling and trying to like figure out that like the quote unquote big break or were you all getting by? And was like, was Ethan there? Was Sam Raimi in the mix? I'm just curious to like set the scene for me a little bit of that group. Well, um, so Fran and I were up in the North Bronx, both of us busted up with our, with our bows. And then we, we had this apartment together and, I was doing I was doing a Broadway show, and um, Fran was doing theater around town too, and Joel and Ethan came and saw me in this play, and they said, "Hey, you know, we're casting this movie Blood Simple, you know, you'd be so cool, it'd be so great to work with you." And I said, "You know, I'm leaving this show for another play, and I'm signed on to do that play. I'm not going to be available, but my roommate." <laughs> <laughs> who happens to be one of the best actors ever to walk you the know, earth. Would, would be my, pretty good. Maybe you guys should meet my roommate. <laughs> and so they met Fran, That's and amazing. then and Fran did Blood Simple, and uh, and then Joel started hanging around with us in the Bronx, and then, you know, we got, we had enough of the Bronx, <laughs> and then we moved into um, the West Village on Morton, Morton and Hudson, and um, right above uh, Henrietta, um, no, uh, <laughs> what is the name of that bar? And it's still around, but it, it changed locations. Not Henrietta Hudson. Uh, anyway, we we lived above, above this lesbian bar, and um, uh, and Joel, you know, and then eventually Fran left, and Joel and she moved in together on the Upper West Side, and um, and then you know, but we were all like buddies, and then we all rented a house together in Silver Lake. Um, uh, and that was with Sam Raimi and Scott Spiegel. And they were writing Evil Dead 2 at the time right. on the front porch. It was L.A. living, you know. Crazy. You could live on the front porch yeah. and like, <laughs> ride all day and, like, drink coffee and switch to, you know, wine and smoke Sounds cigarettes like all day. So we all were smoking cigarettes, lots of packs <laughs> in Silver Lake. And I was looking for work. And, I mean, we were all just kind of hanging out in L.A. It was my first real experience with Los Angeles. Were you kicking yourself by the time Blood Simple came out when you saw? No, no. Fran was brilliant. Yeah, Fran was great. Um, so no, it wasn't like that. I mean, it just didn't. I don't know. It wasn't that kind of a mm-hmm. deal. And so then you know, John and Ethan um, wrote Raising Raising Arizona. And when we were in Silver Lake, they said, "Read this. We wrote this part for you. What do you think?" And they had a little part for Fran, so Fran and me were getting to play right, a few right. scenes together, and um, the, the the part was amazing, and it was kind of my first, you know, leading feature film role. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, but it was kind of... It More was organic kind of, then. Like, in retrospect, it's like it, you could chart organic. it, but, yeah. I mean, it was very, you know, we had boyfriends and girlfriends that were coming and going, and <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's people so f- were just making stuff. Yeah. 
you know, scripts were, you know, it was, it was very unselfconscious and not really struggling. Nobody, we weren't, it wasn't struggling. I don't know. It just never felt like, I never felt like I was desperate times, desperate measures, you know, in my acting career. Yeah. Never, never tasted, never felt that particular Thing. It's a lucky thing because probably many, and maybe that's youth, or maybe that's just not. I think it's a combination right. of youth and and whatever's in my DNA. But that was not a color that was in my palette, really. Um, and uh, so yeah, were, were you guys on the same page in terms of like the style of raising Arizona? I mean, no, it, it's it's such. I didn't a, know what style was. <laughs> well, it's such a different movie. It's funny, like if you look now back at like their their work. Blood Simple and Raising Arizona are two of kind of the motifs that they've kind of returned to in different ways. And yes, that's that's of their body of work. But at the time, Raising Arizona was like pretty remarkably different from the tone of Blood Simple. Totally. And and it demanded clearly a a, st- a heightened style of acting. It would seem to me by what you and and Nick were doing and what uh, John Goodman was doing. And I'm just totally. Cur- I'm just curious, like, but that was coming from the theater. Yeah. So lots of lots of things in the theater are, are heightened. And you know, I mean, like, you can often play tonally slightly elevated, you know, slightly off the ground in in plays. That's not unusual. Right. I mean, I spent four years at Carnegie studying theater and acting. You know, I was in this kind of more absurdist, um, like anything goes kind of thing. And, uh, and so would Fran, you know, at Yale. I mean, you, you're in that really intense, uh, you know, undiluted uh, soup that is a, uh, an acting conservatory. And then you go out and you start doing movies and, and they've got a movie where the, the tone is a little lifted. It's pretty easy. Yeah. I mean, you're not even thinking about it. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it was harder for me to tone it down. Um, and you know, still can be. The, I mean, when you look back uh, at that year, it's absurd to think that, like, you know, two of the, my favorite films on the planet came out from you that year. You know, Jim Brooks then follows that up with uh, Broadcast News, which I always say, you know, when people ask me like what my favorite movie is or what's a perfect movie, that's pretty much at the top of my list. It's yeah. it's just, and I'm not alone in that, as you well know. It's a, it stands the test of time. It works on just so many different levels. Um, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy movie. It's crazy and so watchable and just uh, there's so much to enjoy out of it. Um, Jim Brooks is a character. He's 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 a, he's a genius, but uh, yeah. But also, like, I mean, I don't even know. I've only talked to him, I think, a couple of times over the years. But he seems like um, very affable, but a perfectionist, or maybe self, very neurotic in, in a very charming way. I'm just curious. Um, seemingly different from any other filmmaker. Um, and I know you've talked about, I've heard you say that it was, a, that was a tough experience. It was a trying, trying experience. No, no, not for me, for Jim. Oh, really? But for me, at the end of it, I was like, wow, buddy, wow, that was so much fun. And he was like, was it? Pulling his hair out. <laughs> oh shit. I, I had so much, it was so much fun for me. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> what do you, when you think back to that, I mean, there's, it's like one of the most quotable films of all time. And there are so many iconic scenes. Um, is there a scene that jumps out at you as that kind of embodies that experience that, um, that you return to? 
no, you know, I mean, doing a movie, you, you know, I'm, I'm so cognizant when I'm watching a movie of, of what was happening on that day. Right. You know, um, where I was. Oh, I had a nap that day. <laughs> I never nap. You know, I mean, there are all these kind of like yeah. backlog channels that are operational when I'm, when I'm seeing movies. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the, you know, the experience of working with, with Albert, who's genuinely, unbelievably funny, you know, that was incredible to discover the humor of Albert during rehearsals. And Albert and I rehearsed together a ton, a lot. And we got to know each other. Um, and kind of love each other before the movie ever began. Mm. Um, and I, I, I guess, you know, there's a, a thing that Jim had, had as, a, as a director, um, which was to, you, you could become his muse. And, and that's, that's, you know, at the, at the age of approaching 60, now I know. That's highly unusual. Right. It's highly unusual in a way for a director to give him or herself over to that kind of... Um, the vessel through which he's telling a story. The, uh, yes. Um, but, and also just attention combined with love, you know. And, and, and you know, Jane Campion had that too. It, it just like that I just felt that I was in the... the I was in a um, a spotlight of right. of love, um, and 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 kind of adore <clears throat> to be the adored one, to be one who was adored, yeah. um, so that it the the work comes out of that that filter, um, that just is a a really rare quality because both Jim Brooks and Jane Campion. I have very healthy egos, right. but so it, and, and it is a is, it's a matter of not turning over their ego. They don't turn their ego over to you. Yeah. It's not slavish or obsequious in any way. It's just empowering of the actor. And I mean, and as time goes on, I I find that directors who give actors love, who just give them love, it's a it. That is, in and of itself, is a potent um, exchange yeah. on a movie set to have a director go, you know, I, I just love you. I love, I love you. You know, that alone is, it can be so cool. It must also be fascinating to a couple of the people you've talked about. You've had the opportunity to kind of go back to years later, Jane Campion, you worked with again on Top of the Lake. Yeah. Um, it took a while, but you and the Coens retained for a brother. Where art thou? Uh, Sally, you and, you and Jim haven't worked uh, together since he hasn't made that many movies. Right. Jim is a different kind of filmmaker. I mean, you know, uh, he, I mean, if you just think about like the years that he, that he put into preparing for broadcast news. Right. I mean, he prepared for years. Um, and it shows because we are still talking about that movie in a current kind of way. Because it is so, it's so present, you know, it's so felt now, yeah. um, like in, with an immediacy. Um, and it's very modern. It still feels modern. Um, you probably inspired a, a, a generation of journalists. Totally. I'm sure people come up to you all, all the well, time. Well, that's the, that's the best that I've ever been treated by, you know, reporters. I mean, you know, <laughs> the whole, I, that was, I, they were out of my hand. Right. Feed, you know. 
<laughs> the one thing I want to mention that came out of uh, a couple years after that is you worked with Steven Spielberg on a film that uh, I really adore. Always is a very sweet, um, unabashed, uh, super romantic film um, that. Uh, I don't know. I just think of you in, in John Goodman's arms in that film, just enveloped <laughs> that, that kind of like wonderful uh, uh, visual. Um, what was, uh, what do you think of when you think of always? What do you well, think? Well, I, I, you know, Stephen is, is a, a revelation. He's, he's a one off also um, because he has continued, you know, Stephen's. Desire, his hunger to tell stories is absolutely happening now. He has a desire to explore his own psyche, you know, uh, in, in mirrored by these different projects that he does. Yeah. Kind of un- unfolding himself. Um, it feels very personal to me what Stephen is still able to offer up in his um, his intuitive skills are incredible. I mean, where he was putting the camera in the post was so um, fresh and exciting and vibrant to me Um, uh, and and very surprising. You know, he was very nervy with his camera. Yeah, it almost had like that kind of like that Paul Greengrass like handheld kind of like you are there verite kind of yeah, vibe. Yeah, and, which... and, and it would be it would be in like odd places, and then the car- and then the actors would would come home to it. I mean, right. it was it was very fresh and exciting. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I don't know if you had, I, I watched the uh, the Spielberg doc. Maybe you were a part of it. I can't remember. I, okay. I, 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 I just watched it. I just watched it. It's it's amazing. It's like I mean, look, you see it's the, a revelation. You see the posters on my wall. You get a sense of sort of my age and like where I grew up. And like he's obviously for many and most the filmmaker of our times. Right. Um, and yet, still watching that documentary, I've said this before. I feel like, oh my god, I think I underrated him. <laughs> like, I, that's possible. Like he he's the filmmaker of my life. Yet, if you look at that, he is just preternaturally skilled and can do it seems anything <laughs> with a camera. Yes. Um, Yes, but but it, it, you know it's it's not just that he's like handy with the camera. It's like he has an, an emotional intuition that's extraordinary. Yeah. It's just extraordinary. And, and and when when I found out that you know when I went, oh yeah, of course, ET is is shot through the prism of divorce. I, I I'd never looked at it as as a reaction, a ch- you know, kind of a childhood reaction to divorce. Yeah. Uh, broke my heart. It broke. It rebroke my heart. To and and Saving Private Ryan and and just to see you know, saving the first twenty minutes of see some footage from that first twenty minutes of Saving Private Ryan is like nobody nobody's ever going to do that. Yeah. No one is ever going to do that. Anybody else who would do that would make it look like pornography, violent pornography, or. Porn violence. I mean, in in Stephen's hands, it it was it was just not that. It was it was an amazing, you know, unforgettable, yeah. visceral experience in the theater. You, 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 we've mentioned Jane Campion a couple of times, and um, I, I mean, just looking back at, at the success of 
the piano in, in every respect. Um, it kind of feels to me like a miracle in a way. Again, we talked about how big sick again, we started there, right? Like how it just sort of like everything went right. And that very rarely yes. happens the same way. I, I think you can make the argument about the piano again, like looking at the times we're living in now, would the piano be what it was today in this strange multiplex superhero laden uh, climate? Is there room for a piano at the box office? I don't know. But, I'd say yes. Well, that's good. I'm glad you, you feel I would that. Think so. so, but at the time, was it, I mean, look at moonlight. You know, look at Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. I mean, these beautiful movies that surface and, and get accolades and get acknowledgement. And... No, that's fair. Yeah. At the time, did it feel like, um, again, you talked a little bit about that collaboration with Jane, but the way it cut through and the way it sort of became a cultural moment, was that surprising at the oh, time? Shock, totally shocking. Yeah, there was no way that I could possibly have... I, I remember saying, I don't think anybody's going to see this movie, but the few people who do are going to love it. Right. You know, they will, they will fall in love with the movie. You know, they will be intoxicated by it. But I totally thought that no one would see the movie. Um, then, then it's you and Anna Paquin on a, on a stage uh, winning Oscars. It's crazy. It's a crazy story. And it struck me, like, that's not a one-off. You've worked with a lot of young performers over over the years. I don't know... If that's if it's disproportionate, Evan and Rachel Wood. Yeah, so you think of thirteen, obviously. To, you yeah. know, uh, is that something that do you feed off of that a little bit when it's someone that that is maybe relying a little bit more on instinct, um, a little less trained? I mean, I even think of something in a different way, like the Big Sick. I wouldn't equate you know Kumail with like a child performer, but he comes from a different background, right? He doesn't have the body of acting work. He is a child. <laughs> He's a child at heart. <laughs> But yeah, but I, you know what I mean. I mean, like I, I would, I would hope and think at its best. Um, you know, I think I, saw, I talked to Willem Dafoe about this on the Florida Project. Like he worked with performers of different kind of experience. If, when it works at, at its best, there's a t- tangible energy, hopefully, that is on the screen. And yeah. have you found that to be the case? Not something like Thirteen was that the case, for instance, working with Evan and Nikki. Well, I mean, um, working with Anna was, you know. I, you know, that was kismet. Um, that was the, the, that, that was chemistry. That, that was an undeniable hookup yeah. that Anna and I had for each other. It was just uh, undeniable and lucky as hell. And I loved Anna. And I think, yeah, I could say she loved me. I mean, I certainly felt loved by her. Um, she was nine at this incredibly magical, tender age. But nevertheless, she was a nine-year-old who hooked up with me. And we trusted each other, and I really got to know her and got to know her, particularly her father. Um, and uh, it was just very shimmering. It was a shimmering experience. Yeah to have that relationship with her that was recorded um, because it was real. I mean, it was just a real love. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's something that I do not take for granted, and it certainly does not always happen. And you can totally do a movie and not have chemistry with people, and, and maybe it can even look like you might if the script is particularly wonderful. But that was something that was just a gift yeah. to me. You know, in my life, that was a gift. 
uh, to have Anna. Um, and she's proven herself an ungodly, talented actress who is an original. She has an original energy about her and mystery about her, you know, to this day. Um, and that is something that I feel so thrilled for her that she was able to keep that intact from child to woman uh, as an actress. Have you compared Alan Ball notes with her? She's a veteran of the, the Alan Ball experience, and you're obviously not any deep. You probably filmed, I would think, the whole first season. But uh... Well, sometimes, you know, like Alan said to me one day, he said, yeah, it's so weird. I, I saw you across the, the set, and I thought you were Anna. And, and <laughs> wow. that's, you know, not that Anna and I look unbelievably alike, but there is something, you know, of the essence that's, that, that even though we're really different, um, but there there is a a, a a familial thing. Yeah, it's funny. Like looking at your 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 filmography, um, you know, you were doing TV before it was cool to do TV. <laughs> you know, you were doing like when you were um, experiencing a tremendous amount of success in film. You chose to do some television movies, which were very well received. They're great movies in their own right. But at the time, that was more of the anomaly. Was that something that um, felt like a risk or something odd that your representatives thought was a strange choice? Or was it just sort of like you were going where the material was? And... I don't know. I think because I came from theater, that that did not really have... Um, the, it wasn't a risk. I, I wasn't thinking of it as a a risk. Maybe if I'd moved to Los Angeles and it had been, you know, schooled more in what you do, what you don't do. But, but, but I was in New York, and that does make that through through that filter. Things are valued differently. For me, those were great parts. It was great to go from broadcast news to um, Roe versus Roe, Roe versus Wade. Felt natural to yeah. me. I mean, it was NBC. Who cares? I mean, it's this is a great part. I believe in this project. I'm pro-choice. Yeah. Sure. Oh, you know. So, in the same with After the Piano, I did um, a, you know, the Positively True Adventures of the Alleged Texas Cheerleader Murdering Mom. And <laughs> it was with the great Michael Ritchie. Right. So, I was like, wow, he's a legend. Yeah. I love Bad News Bears, mm-hmm. Downhill Racer. Totally. Um, the Canada. I mean, you know, Michael's smile. The Michael's movies go on and on, in terms of you know brilliance. So, I was like, wow, I'm I'm. This is the next great step. Do you find do you do you chase filmmakers as much as you chase scripts? Like was like I think it was something like Crash Cronenberg is someone that I have great reverence for. Was that someone that you were like? I chased Cronenberg. Did you? I did chase David for for work. <laughs> um, and and I did it, you know, very diplomatically and very tastefully. Um, <laughs> but I pursued him. And he relented. He relented. <laughs> <laughs> um, he he seems like, uh, you know, for as deliciously, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, deliciously fucked up as his materials can often seem, um, a very kind of almost zen um, presence. Fun, fun, fun guy. Yeah. Just fun. Fun-loving you know, very mischievous and fun person to hang out with. Probably good to offset subject matter like Crash with someone that's able to giggle a little bit. He can totally giggle. <laughs> Cones can too, from what I gather. Yes, they, <laughs> they can. Um, but I, I uh, love and adore uh, Cronenberg. I, you know, 
he's a great auteur and his movies are, you know, they are his. Yeah. They belong to no one else. Absolutely. And his humor just is, you know, um, I love how his humor infiltrates his, his, his films. I find myself yucking it up through all of his movies except for, you know, Dead Ringers. I did not. <laughs> that was not funny. That's a tough one. It was brilliant. <laughs> yes. And, you know, Jeremy Irons, he should have two Academy Awards for that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think he's one of the more amusing um, filmmakers to me yeah. be- because it's a set up against something gro- so grotesque and so macabre and frightening and nightmarish that he can, I don't know what that infusion, how he does that. Right. It reminds me, I've been talking a lot of the podcasts about obviously a lot of the great films that have come out in the recent months. And that makes me think of something like, I don't even seen the Phantom Thread yet, but like that was, I felt like a surprising, like, oh, this is actually a, a black comedy and I kind of love it. Like I'm, I think I laughed during Phantom Thread as much as I did it. Anything short of the big sick maybe last year. And I kind of love that about Paul Thomas Anderson's work. Yeah, he's a, he's a, um, a master yeah. as well. Is, is, are, are there, and we've talked about a lot of notable filmmakers, do you feel like there are, there must be a, a few that have gotten away that still are on that list of ones that, were the ones that you pursued that didn't, that it didn't work out for whatever reasons that... Well, you want me to talk to you, to you about regrets? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I'm not really, I'm not confessional like that. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to offer you a free therapy no, session. I'm not that kind of girl. <laughs> We'll keep it positive. We'll keep it positive. <laughs> so here and now, a positive experience. Yes, extremely. Um, so yeah, we talked a little bit about that Alan Ball. Uh, I saw the, I saw the first episode this morning. Uh, Tim Robbins, an amazing ensemble in this, and it, as the title kind of reveals, it fe- very much feels about the here and now that we're living in. Yeah. I mean, it you know without revealing too much, like the. That Tim's character is going to, safe to say, a midlife crisis has a speech that almost feels like some a speech many people could give in 2018. It feels like a, I don't know, speaking to something in the moment. It was, you know, a, a zeitgeist moment. But I, I think that you know, Alan has the moxie. You know, he's got the 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 daring to you know, this this television series is is perched on the precipice of crisis. You know, full blown crisis. Um, this family is going through each, in a way, their individual crisis um, of, of, of everything, of belief in themselves, in themselves, of, of, of where they are in the world, who they think they are versus who they really are. I mean, you know, Alan has, has approached this project extremely ambitiously, and he has the ability to to unfold, you know, to peel. I mean, he's a great saga-ist. Mm-hmm. Um, and he carries these extremely complicated people in a way more complicated than you could have in a film because you only have an right. hour and a half or two hours. And he goes, no, 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 I'm going for the big kahuna. Yeah. So Juggle- wants- And juggling many characters. And it feels like, yeah, I mean, honestly... Seeing that just the first episode, I feel like I'm like, I'm not even sure. What, and I mean this again in a positive way. I'm not sure what this show is yet. <laughs> like I'm not sure where any of these characters are going. Uh, it could and he, go- ta- he takes the time that he, the, the great Alan Ball takes the time that the great Alan Ball takes. And he, he gets to have that kind of canvas. Yeah. And to shoot it filled with like 
unbelievable complexity and people who are grandly flawed and not necessarily, uh, you know, Oh, oh, I, oh, I like her. They're they're not the easiest people, right? But they are fascinating people. Why are they the way that they are? Are we going to find out? And what are they going to do next? And you know, I I just think that I so love delving into it being you know getting the opportunity to take that kind of dive yeah. because with Alan it's going to be a deep dive, um, and you know. And and he does it with so many the 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 number of engagements that he makes with um, his characters is is really it's mighty. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. Like you know, we we started by talking about this great kind of full circle year you've had from Big Sick to to here and now, and and I've heard you talk about before coming out of your previous series might have been the, if there was a difficult time, kind of a, like a moment you, where you had to kind of take stock of sort of like your place in the industry, that might've been the time in terms of like, okay. You mean after that series? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I was like, wow. So where are we at today with this great success of the big sick, which had this like amazing run that continues. Uh, you have this great HBO show that's just starting. I mean, do you, I don't know. Are you ambitious as an actor where you're like, there are things I still need and want to do, or are you noticing like, I have a different new niche that I that I've, I fit into. The scripts are getting better, or is it all just cyclical? And like this year will be good, next year might not be so good. But don't worry, two years ahead might be a good year. I mean, what's the the attitude about sort of where you're at now? Well, I mean, there's a natural ebb and flow to anyone's career, and that just happens. Maybe unless you're Tom Cruise. I mean, right. and 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 even Tom has had some ebbs and flows. Sure. But nevertheless, he manages to remain on the crest of like a super a superstardom. I mean, I don't know if you saw Made in America, but I thought it was really the yeah. Doug Lyman. I thought it was yeah 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 really, yeah really fun, great yeah. Cruise was great yeah. Um, I mean, he's still he's he's still putting it out there. Um, but with with um. The rest of us more lowly, you know, mortals, uh, you know, there are definite ebbs and flows. And I can kind of take my own temperature at at this point in my life and go, yeah, I love to act. I mean, I love the expression. I love the exchange with my fellow actors and and with a, uh, and with a director, if you know, but the directors, I mean, it, it, it's all a little bit of a crapshoot, but you know, it's, I, I come with an extended, you know, palm, an open palm. Right. Um, and love doing that. It's interesting. Cause I was, I, you know, I'm thinking about it. Like I would think right now the directors that are kind of coming of age that are kind of like my age. I'm 41. So I was, you know, I was, I was 11 when I, when I saw Raising Arizona and Broadcast News. And as you know, I can tell those stuck with me in a profound way. Are you finding that kind of like you're getting kind of a, not, I feel like you've always been in favor and always been acknowledged, but like the people that are making films now, there's kind of like a different generation now that like remembers and loves you from that work and wants to utilize you in a different way? Well, I mean, Showalter, you know, Mike Showalter from Big Sick, you know, is a a much younger guy than me. And and once again, that was a very special collaboration that I had with him. It was based on a a real trust. 
effortless trust um, that I had in, in Mike. Uh, I just trusted him. And so did we all. You know, that was just one, the language was effortless yeah. um, between all of us and that we all had with Mike. It was like Mike is our leader. If, if, if you know, if, if, if Mike says he got it, he got by God, he got it. <laughs> well, it's also like, you know, you'll go back to that Raising Arizona conversation. It's like you were all making the same movie. You all, you know, you and Nick Cage were making the same movie. If you weren't, that would have looked like a strange... Would have been tough. A tough thing. And in the same way, I feel like the big sick... We were all making the same movie. If you're talking about tone, if you're talking about whatever, yeah. whatever the tone word is... Tone is crucial. Tone is really crucial. Um, and, and where are you at in terms of like, you know, you, 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 you look at a thing like Batman versus Superman. Is that something It's like... You know what? It's a nice offer. It's a studio film. It's a it's a good totally, and that's fine. There's nothing like why should we thumb our nose at? Uh, things? You'd be talking to another actor. Right. I don't feel that way. I yeah. just don't. Um, I mean, I've I've worked in my life for lots of different reasons, sure. um, and Batman versus Superman was um, an adventure all on its own. You know, I mean, it was like nothing I'd ever done before. I, I don't know if you know Zack Snyder, but he's sure. like a totally adorable guy yeah. who um, was kind of a lovely um, Peter Pan kind of uh, energy leading the m- massive troops, you know, that um, in Detroit, which was also a total adventure to be in Detroit at this time in, in its life. Sure. Um, uh so there were there were lots of upsides, and not only that, but it was like okay, people are they'll if I do this movie, they're going to see me in this movie. It, it, this movie is going to be seen, and it was. And I do movies <laughs> where they don't they don't see the light of day, right? Because things happen, things happen along the way. Um, the, 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 it's uh, like in the old west, you know, when it's like, oh, you know, Uncle Jeb is gonna he's gonna come see us, you know, and, and it was like. You know, by the grace of God, maybe I'll get there by supper tomorrow night because he's going to be <laughs> riding horses through the mountain pass, blah, blah, blah. Right. It's winter. Maybe he runs out of food. Maybe, you know, whatever. That's the journey. That's kind of, of the journey of making, a, a, especially an independent movie. Yeah, exactly. It's like the, 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 the climate is not. It's harsh. It's to say the least. I was just at Sundance and it's like that, that environment has changed. And I was thinking as I was watching it. For good or for bad, like 80% of these films are not going to be seen in a theater. They're going to be seen on... I mean, and maybe more people will see them. They're festival movies. But on the other hand, they're going to go on Netflix and Amazon, and maybe more people will see them that way. And so, you know, is it good or bad that's beyond that? Or maybe they'll go on Netflix and Amazon and just fall into the black pit of the black hole. I was trying to keep it positive. I'm so sorry. I went into into the the independent (laughs) hole, the ditch. Well, you've, you've been through it, so I get it. Um, and the last thing on, on kind of like the, 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 the blockbuster side of things I do want to mention is Incredibles too, which we're, we're, I'm extremely excited about. Yeah, me too. Um, how often does a, a child just recognize you from your voice? The tons. <laughs> tons. I, I get, yes, yes. If I want to really be anonymous, I don't talk. <laughs> well, you have the advantage of being able to do accents, but I, I assume that gets old at Starbucks. You don't want to always have to put on a different voice. Yes. Oh, name Penny, <laughs> Jennifer. 
Um, yes, don't trust that, that, that woman that's drinking the, uh, the latte with Jennifer on it. That could be Holly Hunter, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, honestly, it's been, it's been a real, real treat. As you can tell, I'm a, I'm a big admirer of your work. And I'm, I'm so thrilled um, that you're more than going strong. Uh, the Big Sick, is, uh, if people have not checked it out, Kumail was here. So we've given it a lot of love. We'll continue to. Uh, but now, uh, here and now on HBO, just starting up right now. Um, 10 episodes? How, we st- how many are we starting? 10? 10. Nice. Okay, so 10. Uh, as I said, it's an amazing ensemble, but it's also from the, the great mind of Alan Ball, so trust in that. Um, Holly, it's been a pleasure, truly. Thank you. Thanks. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. Ha <laughs> ha